Hello, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. Today's episode is our monthly topic talk, and joining me today are both Jenna and Bentley. And we're going to just do things a little different. Instead of having a specific topic today, we have several different questions we're going to talk about, and I have one surprise question for them mm-hmm. that they don't know about mm-hmm. that we're just going to throw out there and, and see what sort of response we get this morning. So this might be a a little bit more rocking sort of episode than normal. And as always, this is a podcast for adults using adult language. So <laughs> you might either want to pick your listening time carefully or put your headphones on. That being said, Welcome, ladies. How are you all this morning? We are so good. That out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Bentley's good. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm two coffees in. We're I'm good to go. Oh, oh we're gonna have to peel you off the wall later. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even taken my first sip yet. Well, the, maybe come we on. should do that before we go get started. <laughs> you, can, you can caffeine up a little bit. I don't want you to be behind. On oh, right. I know, I've got a lot to keep up with you two ladies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's what I want to start out with is what, if anything, would make you end a friendship? For me, it's a kind of a broad answer because I would I would say just like complete disrespect. I think respect is huge in relationships. A lot of different things can happen. A lot of situations can happen where I would feel disrespected. And um, that like maybe I wasn't as valuable to them as I thought that I was or that they are to me. So anything that would fall in that sort of category would be something that I would. Like a violation of trust. (laughs) A violation of trust for sure. But I think that also can be worked through on some degree. I think it depends on how deep that trust was and how big of a violation it was. If it's the first time that it's been something that you've experienced together Um, I am a firm believer that people can change, that people can adapt and grow and learn and correct their behaviors if it's something that they're working on and something that they want to do. So I'm like a benefit of the doubt type of girl. You know, as I say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So do you feel that you know exactly what that boundary is and you know exactly when someone passes that boundary that you... So would you have a confrontation with that person to talk about it or would you just end the friendship? I would have a conversation for sure. I, uh, I've had plenty of situations like that in friendships where I, I can't sit back and just pretend everything's okay. So I've got two options then to disappear, to ghost them as a person, to right. stop communicating or to confront them and talk about it. And I more often than not would lean towards the direction of having a conversation because we create so many stories ourselves in our mind about what they're thinking, what they're experiencing, about how they're viewing the situation. So putting it all out on the table is always my, my answer. Okay. Then I'm going to go back to the question about the boundaries. Do you mm-hmm. have pretty firm boundaries or do you find they're a little more fluid depending on the situation? I think that they're for sure fluid for me. Yeah. It would depend on the relationship and really the situation. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Bentley? Yeah, I'm very, I have a very similar approach to what Jenna said. Maybe that's why we're such good friends. (laughs) (laughs) But if you think about it, you know, we all have friends in our lives, but those friends serve different purposes. I remember 
growing up, I was not, I was the kid that had friends in lots of different groups, right? I could mm-hmm. be friends with, with the popular kids, with the athletes, with the, ner- you know, the nerds, the whatever, you know, whatever it was. My mom said something kind of profound to me that I remember. And she goes, you're going to have friends in your life as you grow older, that serve different purposes. And basically, you're going to have your, you know, your fun friend, your go out, the one who's, you know, let's go out, let's go do something crazy. Then you're going to have your friend that you can tell your deepest, darkest secrets to. You're going to have your friend, you know, who's your emotional support. You're going to have your friend that's your shopping buddy. You know what I mean? Like everybody's going to serve a purpose. And I think with that comes different perspectives when it comes to how to approach those friendships. Obviously, you're saying, Jenna, like, you know, where are the boundaries if somebody lies to you or isn't completely truthful or whatever it is, depending on the relationship is depending on how you at least how I would react to it. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. who I think I can tell my absolute deepest, darkest secrets to and I've got friends like that. And if I if I found out that they weren't being truthful or they told something that I didn't want out to somebody else and that got back to me, I'd be devastated. You know, so I think it just kind of depends on how, I don't want to say serious, but how really serious the real, yeah, exactly. That's the better way of phrasing it. The depth of the relationship is. So it's, and for me, if that line was crossed or something happened where you think, oh, this is going to break our friendship. I'm definitely the person that's, I'm going to come to you and be like, we need to talk about this a hundred percent. Let's, because I want to get down to the root cause of what happened. And and like you're saying, most of the stuff is in our heads. So we have to be able to really sit down and, and air it all out. So mm-hmm. it made me think of um, a poll that I did on my Instagram stories a few months ago. Oh, I remember this. <clears throat> Asking people, um, I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was basically like, do you think that relationships on any level, romantic, platonic, you know, family relationships are, should always be 50-50? Or do you feel like, or, or something along those lines, right? Yeah. And it was really fascinating information because for me, I don't subscribe to the 50-50 rule, right? I think that mm-hmm. there's times, there's times where I'm going to need 90% from you because I'm, I'm falling here. I'm, yeah. I'm struggling with all these other aspects of my life and whatever it is that you can bring to the table to help lift me back up like that. That's where the relationship really starts to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be days where you are feeling 10% and you need me to help you come in and pull you back up and bring you back to kind of our common ground. Right. So many of the results were, well, if I'm not feeling as valued in the relationship and that I'm giving more, then I'm out. Like, that's not my, yeah. I, I, I get that. Like if it's wow. all the time, like if it's all the time, you're pulling yeah. all the way, you're doing everything. Like I get that. Like right, it's probably right. not a healthy situation, right. but, but I have girlfriends that I haven't seen in over a year and we'll connect and it's, we're still like really good friends. Like I know, yeah. she'll, I know she'll have my back. I know she'll always be there for me. If shit hit the fan, like I could call her and she would be there, but we right, don't yeah. have to, constantly be in contact with each other every time or maybe mm-hmm. I am the one that's always reaching out like once a month or once every few months hey just checking in how are you and I'm fine with that like I'm totally yeah. okay being the one to reach out and to check in because maybe I'm just sitting down and have five seconds or you know five minutes yeah. to touch in with two or three people and I can do that and maybe they're they don't have that time so yeah <clears throat> it's true you have to find it's such a 
it's such a fine line of like where you have to make the decision. Are you the one that's constantly <laughs> reaching out and getting back nothing from them? You know, at some right. point you have to say like, this is not healthy for me. You know what I mean? And say, this is the end of that friendship because clearly there's nothing that's coming back. But I wholeheartedly agree with you. It's not equally 50-50. And I've been yeah. in friendships like that where I've, Lord, my life hit the fan. I need people to be there for me left and right. And, you know, they say like people show you your true colors or whatever in, the, in those darkest moments. And I had friends that I didn't hear from while I was going through the majority of my shit. And that doesn't mean that they're not good friends. They're just a different type of friend. And right. I didn't end the friendship over it. They just weren't the people I turned to when I needed them the most. And the right. people that I did came back to me and, you know, were the ones who were checking in and going like, are you alive? Where are you? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Like, do I need to come get you? I've turned around and repaid the favor when their life went crazy. You know what I mean? So it's right. true. It's not, it's not equally... 50-50. And I think if you're so, if you make that so definitive, like you're going to lose friendships, good friendships over probably something that wasn't a big deal to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like there's probably like some personal insecurities that you need to work through yes. to, not, to where you're not feeling valued enough to constantly be, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? To constantly like be like padded, right? To like, to have your friendship cushioned around you. and like, Oh, got it. Yeah. Everything. So I can't think of the word I'm, I'm looking for, but like to like always feel like you're being thought of. Maybe you're Maybe in it's a not sense. all about you all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes that is a wake up call. You're like, oh, shit, yeah. actually, life doesn't revolve around me. Right. Who knew? But I also think that in reality, that <laughs> no relationship is 50-50. True, there, yeah. There's no, whether it's a familial, so your your parents, your, your sibling, you know, whatever it is, that there's no relationship that you have with anybody that's 50-50. Those people that are the vampires, the energy suckers, mm -hmm. are the ones that are just, you wonder how they make it through life. And like you, you want to keep giving. And then all of a sudden you realize that you've hit whatever your limit is, or yeah. you, you've come to the conclusion that this is just not, this is not working for me. I feel like I'm the one that's doing all the dumping out for the energy and not getting anything in return. And not that any relationship that you want to try and do something just because you're going to get something in return. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that it, it's that it reminds me of, what is it? The push me, pull you from the guy that talks to animals. What's the name of that movie? Oh, um, the one with Eddie Murphy. Well, yeah, but there, but there was a, it was a story. There was a book about it. What was the, I can't remember anyway, but it's, <laughs> it's that animal that's got, you know, two heads and they're connected in the center and it goes, it goes back and forth. And so it's sort of that energy of things moving back and forth. And it's that fluidity that goes around. And when that starts to just keep flowing in one direction all the mm -hmm. time, you, yeah. just, you hit that. That's the point where you go, I, I can't do this anymore. Right. I just think that it's a fallacy for anybody to think, oh, yeah. I mean, especially when you look at marriages, I think that people think, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be all about 50-50. <laughs> it's like, oh, wake up and smell the coffee. Oh, boy. Yeah, that I ain't know. Ever <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good. Let me know how that turns out for you. Do you guys think that most of the people, I mean, there's a lot of people out there walking around in the world who do not like confrontation. 
avoid confrontation Mm -hmm. who well when they are confronted with a question or a comment or a problem or whatever it is they they just say whatever it is to get that conversation over as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. and so you're not really getting a truthful answer out of them Mm -hmm. do you ever have moments in time where there's confrontation that happens and that is sort of your response or do you just realize that for yourself personally, that's like, I just got to talk about this and, and get it out and, and move on? Um, sure. I guess a little bit of both. I'm, I am like the most avid communicator ever. I feel like communication solves everything. So I'm the kind of person that I'll say, you know, regardless of whether it's in a friendship or my relationship or whatever it is, I like go straight to the person. I'm like, look, we let's just sit down. Let's talk this out. And I, I don't know, I like to take the role of like the mediator. That's me. So I put it in a way where I go, this is what I think has happened. Like, either you did this, or you said this, this is how I reacted, I responded with this, so on and so forth. Like, I'm very, like, methodical, like, when I break everything down, when I do that, we can usually say, oh, here's where it went wrong, right? If you start to like break it down in different sections. So my purpose in doing that is to give both parties the opportunity to talk it out. But I guess I'm usually the one that's in like that's starting this. I'm not the one that's it's being brought to. Mm-hmm. So I try to do it in a way that's like not I don't want to attack anybody. And I guess oh, I'm right. speaking like more specifically about like my like closest relationships. I'm not talking about like work relationships or something like that. So I'm very rarely on the receiving end of this. <laughs> because like what you're saying, a lot of people don't take this role. They're right. usually the ones that are being approached going if they're lucky enough, if somebody in the relationship wants to say wants to come forward and say we need to talk about this if both people don't want to talk about it you're you're just screwed you're you're Mm -hmm. up shit's creek like nothing's gonna get talked about but for me it's about getting it out there because when you start talking and you start saying this is what i feel happened you can usually pinpoint where it went wrong and then if you can pinpoint Mm -hmm. it then you can actually address the situation and not have an argument over what you think went wrong, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Usually you can usually find a common ground where both of you like exactly saw it differently or experienced yeah. it differently. You're like, oh, that's not what I thought. And they're that's like, well, that's what I thought you meant. And you're like, well, look at that. We got our answer. <laughs> and um, now we have some solutions. Yeah. Well, and, and it's and, and it's, it's like the person has to be want like they have to want to be a part of that conversation. Even yeah. if you come in like super sensitive and nice and kind, like you can't obviously come in and start attacking someone because nobody's receptive to that. Yeah. But even even coming in kind, that person still might not be receptive of it. They may go like, nah, nah, like red flag, I don't want to yeah. deal with this, like run away. And there are and a lot of people out there that, that are like that and not handle confrontation. They yeah. just- you know, you know, I, uh, I used to be, a, it used to be a lot harder for me to handle confrontation. Like yeah. before I like gained my confidence, got a little older, like got comfortable with like my own opinions and my own point of views and things and really knew my truth. And 
there are probably still some situations with certain people that if I were to be confronted by them, I would get a little bit more reclusive and be like, well, I wasn't prepared for this. I need to really gather. Like I need to like really figure out how I feel before we can handle anything. Like I can't, Mm -hmm. I'm not prepared for this. So I definitely can relate to those types of people. I would say like quite a few years ago, like even in my marriage, my husband and I, we were so proud that we never fought. We never had any issue. We were young, right? We got married really young and we would, were like really proud that we never fought or had any problems and then and then we did (laughs) and then it happened and now you're like great what do we do now and then everything exploded and we had to learn real quick the importance of communicating of confronting each other of talking about the things that bothered us of laying it all out on the table and being okay being a little bit uncomfortable with it and working through it so did we, you guys did you have help to do that or did you figure it out on your own um, you don't have to, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to yeah no we i don't i don't mind answering it for the most I'm talking about it for the most part, but we did end up seeing each of us saw a therapist separately just for a couple of sessions. And then we saw we had one session together. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. The session really heated, like really emotional for the two of us. And we ended up hating the guy together, mm-hmm. like hating the experience that we had had. We joke that that's what brought us back together because we had something to <laughs> bond over. Well, you, had a, you had a common, you had a common <laughs> thing had, that you yeah. both hate your therapist. I love that. Yeah. That's and so we, funny. I think it was like the first time we like actually talked about something that we had in common and something that we could share in the experience with while we were going through the problems that we were going through. And so it, it's funny that like, I was like, well, maybe that was his plan all along, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. He's a, he's either the worst or the most genius therapist yeah. that ever walked the planet. Yeah. But like I said, it was like just a couple of sessions and I don't, I really don't attribute any of that to helping yeah. helping us yeah, okay. or me and there are people who everybody has different communication styles everyone has different mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. abilities i have come across in my work at times where i've got two people who don't speak the same language mm-hmm. they don't hear the other person when they're speaking, of course, because they don't speak the same language. So they're both frustrated and Mm -hmm. angry and they're, they're, they're two really great people, but they, they're not even in the same room when it comes to having a conversation, even though they're in the same room, they can't speak to each other and they can't hear each other. I have been put in that spot of being the intermediary or the facilitator or the mediator Mm -hmm in the middle of all of that. And sometimes that's exhausting Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you see what's going on and to try and point it out without having anybody have a flare up of anger or unhappiness or whatever. I mean, it's it's frustration of not being treading that very fine line there is really difficult. But (laughs) it's always interesting to watch communication styles and to see how people interact together. And that kind of leads me into my next question that I want to ask is what's your biggest fear when you're walking into a room of people that you don't know? I. Okay. Well, I don't know if I have a specific fear. I, I've i actually always been proud of my ability to... I always like laugh. I'm such a social butterfly that you could really drop me down into any social circle and I would 
I would be fine because I feel very comfortable just striking up conversations with people. I think a fear that I would have is like if I'm in a room of, I don't know, I'm trying to to really pinpoint this. I think it would be if I were in a place where I was, these were people that I was in trying to impress per se, if it was more in a, in a professional environment, I definitely would probably quiet my social butterfly very, I just want to go around and talk and chat with everybody. I think if I'm in more of a serious situation, I'd probably in my head be going like, okay, you can't be your goofy normal self, even though that's probably what I should be because you should always show exactly, you know, who you that's, are. that's who I am. That's what right. I do. But I think if, if I'm in a position where it's a, uh, I need to impress people, I have that voice that's telling me like, okay, you need to be more professional. You need to like quiet down your, I have like very amped up energy and I'm Italian. I talk with my hands and I'm all over the place. And I, I would have that conflict where I'm like, oh, you have to, you have to mold yourself to fit the crowd, even though that's not who I am. Like I'm very Mm -hmm. confident in standing out as who I am and, and kind of saying like, F off if you don't like me, that's, (laughs) that's your problem. But I think if I was in that kind of situation where you have to impress uppers, I would probably, that would be like my my weakness, I would say. Okay. That's why I like to go to events with Bentley because she can just <laughs> lead. Yeah, I just go running in. <laughs> Hi, I'm here. The party is <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's me. My fear is the whole situation of being dropped in a group of people. <laughs> Jenna's like, ah, uh, help. That's I, what I was looking to hear. Okay. I go don't ahead. do I don't do well in large groups like at all. I. I do really well one-on-one. I do well in smaller groups once I got to know people. Yeah, just the whole, like, even just thinking about it, like, <laughs> making my heart right. It's like, are you going to do this Jenna, Jenna breaks out in hives. <laughs> Jenna's like, oh, um, God, is there a people, group of people walking in? Where? Yeah, is there a group of people? I don't know. I think that, yeah, just the whole thing just terrifies me for some reason. I don't do well with, like, small talk. And I will tend to, like, ask questions that people maybe aren't prepared for. <laughs> Well, so that's interesting to me. Let me, I need to look at this book because I did an audible book by a woman. She's in Portland, Oregon, and it was such a great book because I don't like to go to somewhere, a group, whether it's a small group or a bigger group or whatever it is. The thing for me is to go in there and it's always the same question. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, blah, blah, you know, and, and it's always the same shit. And so it's like, yeah. you know, I, I want to, I want to ask that question that makes people go, I can't believe she just asked me that. Yeah. Uh, More profound question. Well, for me, it's like, I, I want to get into sort of the, into what makes this person tick. So I got this book called captivate and so it's (laughs) this woman has talked about all of the things that you can say when you walk into a room that are unique that are are unusual and it was so helpful the science of succeeding with people and Mm. it talks about you know but she talks about body language and everything but the the section that i liked the most was about she had like these questions like what did you do last weekend what what's your passion project just to kind of learn something and to get because because people do like to talk about themselves Mm -hmm. but for the Mm -hmm. most part really care what somebody does for a job unless it's like yeah 
something that just lights them up like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, because there, you have a whole life, you're a whole person outside of your job, even though we spend hours and hours and hours sometimes working. Mm-hmm. So that was for me, it was like just to learn some of these key kind of words to put together to make these conversation sparkers that you then all of a sudden people <laughs> and you can see people start to lean in right and that's one yeah. of those body language things is like people get engaged and they lean in because they're they want to hear what you have to say so for me that that's the biggest thing and then i of course always want to know where people came from well mm-hmm. how did you end up you know what what how yeah. did you end up here or why did you do that and and some people are like I'm not- i love that question quite sure I want to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Or she seems really sort of like she's I don't know, trying to find something out more nosy. Yeah. What what, do you want to know? What do you want? Yeah. What's your motivation behind all of that? You know, and I always have to go What's your agenda? (laughs) I'm just curious about where you came. I'm curious about where people come from, how they end up where they are, you know, the choices that you make along the way, the things that surprised you the things that were scary the thing mm-hmm. and I, i'm the queen of asking those probing <laughs> questions of, you know how did this happen and yeah. and people will look at you and i'll either and it's it's an art to learn how to ask those the deeper questions in a conversation where somebody's already talking about themselves and you ask them and they don't have they don't really stop to think about the fact that that might be a pretty invasive question because <laughs> you sort of answer it. yeah so I think that, and just like there are all kinds of different ways to communicate and and different styles of communication, I think that there are, like Jenna, you you do better one on one or in a small group of people mm-hmm. that you that you know or that you have some sort of commonality, connection, yep. connection to, right? Mm-hmm. And Bentley and I are probably more the bull in the china shop walking and going, <laughs> "Hey, yeah, how's it yeah. going?" Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, I think that what happens for me in large situation, like in large group settings where I don't know a lot of people is I get really insecure about something like kind of deep real, real quick, real um, here with this one is um, I get insecure about the questions that people are going to ask me, like you had said, Sherry, like, what do you do for a living? Like, oh, I'm just a yoga teacher. And like, how do I expand on that? Like, I know, I know, and I know that. Like, I know that, but then I feel super intimidated and like, it's not enough to impress these people. And so I'm like, well, I'm a yoga teacher. That's what I do. Like that. I don't (laughs) know. Like, what else do you want from me? And so like, I get really insecure about the questions that I'm going to be asked and like what people want to know on like a surface level where I'm like, I don't even want to go there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that most people don't ask interesting questions right yeah that's right? the issue they, they ask you questions that make you feel insecure right so mm-hmm. if someone said to you, you know what do you do and you said i'm a yoga instructor and and the next great question would be well what made you decide to become a yoga instructor right? yeah what is it about yoga that you love you could probably talk about that for a good 15 20 minutes right, right. Yeah. yeah so it's i think it's that and there's a whole lot of people out there right now that are having conversations about the fact that we don't have conversations Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. That technology has made it that for the most part, people are like, I don't even have phone conversations anymore. If you don't text me, Mm -hmm. I don't respond. Some people call it the art of conversation, which Mm -hmm. there's that, or just the fact of actually 
communicating with each other, whether it be on the telephone or whether it be face to face, that we're losing that connection and that ability to be able <laughs> to have a conversation that's more about, so what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do for a living? What do you what, do? You know, you know, do, you and, do? You know? Yeah. so it, it's interesting when you and learning those cues of, you know, somebody's pupils are dilating, that means that they're they're getting excited about what you're talking about. They're leaning mm-hmm. in as you're asking these questions. There's a smile on their face. There's mm-hmm. that people are losing the ability to read body language yeah. yeah, and be able to have a conversation that's enjoyable for both sides. So I think that that is going to become an even bigger thing when you think about technology and how do we stay connected as humans because even though we live in a time in our lives in our society where we are more connected than ever before there are people that are definitely feeling lonely and left out and not a part of the crowd oh yeah mm-hmm. even more so than ever probably oh yeah yeah Very. and i think that that's sometimes why we get those people online who feel like they can leave crappy comments on things Mm -hmm. they kind of it's like a drive-by shooting they drop long enough to make a judgment and make a shitty comment and then they leave again and i don't think that they really have good connections with people and that's why that happens yeah for whatever reason Mm -hmm. it's just like perpetuating that behavior and Bentley, you brought up something, and and Jenna, you segued into it too about depending on what group of people you're walking mm-hmm. into. Like, mm-hmm. do I need to impress them? Are these people in my professional realm or whatever it is? I used to think that for the longest time, and then finally, I got to the point when the last time I worked in the corporate world, I realized that. If somebody wasn't going to appreciate my talent, my skill, all of the experience that I brought to the table and treat that with respect and try and tap into that and bring it more forward into the business, Mm then that was probably somewhere I didn't need to be working. Yeah. Yeah. I became known as the person who was very independent or the one who was able to say, I don't agree with you to a senior VP because I didn't agree with them. Mm -hmm. You know, my attitude was, is if they're going to fire me, (laughs) I don't need to be here anyway, because this isn't the right place. I look at things like that and the capacity that we have to try and be as as much of a chameleon as we can be given the situations. Mm -hmm. But I think that the more true to who we are in every situation that we are in, the better things that we bring that we manifest into our life or spaces to be spaces to live spaces to work spaces to have friendships etc but mm-hmm. i love that what conditions provide the best way for you to find empathy for another <sighs> this Jenna. is a big <laughs> <laughs> you're up <laughs> you know i saw this question i don't think it's conditional for me I don't okay. think that I don't think that there has to be a setting or a situation or an environment. It doesn't have to be any sort of relationship. It could be a complete stranger and just yeah. feeling that empathy towards another person is just something that is in me automatically. Yeah. Whether they like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I am exactly the same. Do you, I, can, do you have any way to like expand on that question, Sherry? What I'm trying to kind of understand as I background is in 
history and political science. Mm -hmm. And when I look at things like politics, and so here's a for instance, my first husband was interested in political science, but he that's not what he ended up getting his degree in. But he always told me, and I was young, I mean, we were, I was 21 when I got married. He always told me I was too emotional for politics. Mm-hmm. And when we ended our relationship and I went back to college to finish up my degree, I ended up going, I started out thinking I was going to do some history, just stick with history, but I got sort of sucked into the political science arena because it was at the time in our history when the Russian empire was crumbling communism was coming to an end. And it was incredibly interesting to me as a historian. So I went to talk to my advisor, my poli-sci advisor, and we had a conversation and I made this comment that he had said that I was too emotional. And she looked at me and she said, Sherry, politics is all about passion, Mm -hmm. emotion, Mm -hmm. and the things that you hold dear. She said, you cannot remove those out of the equation. So as I'm looking at what's going on in the world, not just in our country, but in the world, and the things that are happening is that I don't think that anybody's really hearing the other person, right? So say, for example, in our country, in certain parts of the country, there are people who don't believe that the people who live on either coast understand what those of them that live in the middle of the country or in the southern states, they don't understand what we're going through. Or the ones who are in a different space in terms of economics, that they don't feel that people hear them or understand what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like sometimes it's just you shout out into the void mm-hmm. and that we have lost the capacity in some levels to hold that space of empathy for someone living in a circumstance that's different than our own. Mm-hmm. So I think about mm-hmm. what conditions do, does there need to be for me to then want to go, I need to have a little more empathy for this person, for their story, to try and understand them better so that I understand or at least try to come to some sort of understanding around why they believe what they do, why they support the certain things that they do, et cetera. So that was kind of what I was thinking about is what is that space where there may be someone that you meet that maybe when you first meet them that you don't really connect with them, but then something happens. There's either a story that they tell or something changes and all of a sudden you go from sort of being this I'm standoffish or I'm sort of removed to this situation to leaning in with empathy. That's Mm kind of what I was asking. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I think that you actually answered that question in the way that you explained it. And at least the way that I was going to answer is that you need to, you need to jump into those conversations. You need to get, put your feet into the things that you don't understand visit mm-hmm. the places in your town that make that you don't understand like maybe it's um a more upper middle class person going and sitting in a homeless shelter and experiencing the lower income schools and going and volunteering and like just put getting your feet in those locations having the mm-hmm. conversations be, being willing to listen to people's stories about their suffrage and don't be like don't be naive to it like you have the mm-hmm. only way to understand it is to go look at it in its face. face. 
And I think that for the most part, there's obviously going to be exceptions, but we're all human, right? And we have some sort of emotion within us and we all feel for other people's pain on so many deep levels that if you were to go and listen to someone's story that has been through so much and get their why, that you're going to feel that on some level. You're going to feel it in some capacity, whether that one story changes your perspective and and moving forward, maybe, maybe not, but that's one. And then you continue to experience it, continue to learn more and educate yourself on it. I think that that's the only way for any shift to happen. I agree with you. And I think that the people who sit in judgment or those people who say crappy things about political candidates or Mm -hmm. specific things are people who are very narrow-minded because they don't want to step outside whatever it is they they put the blinders on right Mm -hmm. this is what i learned in my childhood this Mm -hmm. is what my church tells me this is what then they refuse to be able to put themselves in a space of compassion for someone else to be able to hear someone else's story because they either have so much pain and i think that's where it comes i think for a lot of this is that people are motivated by the pain that they have endured whether Mm -hmm. it be a hard childhood whether it be you know whatever it is that that has now become their sole story. They've kept themselves in victim mode. And so that's how they approach everything that they go mm-hmm. through. And then they feel that nobody else recognizes their pain enough, that nobody else gives them their victim status that they desire to continue to move in. Mm. Or, or they feel helpless. They feel that there's nothing that they can do to change their circumstances and they're stuck where they are. Yeah. And then they're bitter because they don't feel that they have any choices or any way to do anything different. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's part of it. I I wouldn't say that that's everything obviously. No, like there's going to be seven situations, but I in my experience in the environment that I've been around, I think it's less so about pain and more so about a sense of entitlement. And uh, and mm-hmm. that that's the word I would describe differences in political status, economical status, like that's where I have seen most of it. And maybe it is entitlement that is covering pain, like maybe. That's what I think it is. There is is something below that that creates that. But I also feel like I know so many people on a deep enough level that I am having a hard time believing that they're like, that they could use pain and suffering as an excuse for that. So well, and there's, you know, everybody's going to have their own motivation for whatever it is. I mean, yeah. there there could be a trauma that happened that they don't even recognize. Even know. Yeah. Happened, yeah. Right. That has informed how they've lived their life up to the point to where they are today. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's sort of the thing, too, of. Jen, I was listening to the book that you told me about. Uh, it didn't start with it you. It didn't start with you, yeah. And, and just a couple other ones about familial stories that are passed down from one generation to the next mm-hmm. and how we absorb those stories and don't even realize it until we potentially start digging into that space. But then when and are then, we held account- Like at what point are we held accountable? That's where I have a problem. <laughs> there's that. I mean, you do have to be held accountable. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in 
on on a stage that's that everybody in the world is watching of what's going on with the current administration in mm -hmm. office yeah. is that they don't feel that they have to be held accountable for their mm -hmm. actions that they can do whatever they want because entitlement because privilege because you know for me i just see it as that's a really good grift they got going on there and they don't want to be found out so mm -hmm. they're going to mm -hmm. keep deflecting to everybody else so that nobody's really looking at what they're doing. I do think that when you talk about entitlement, that that definitely comes from a way of how you were raised. It doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean that you that you come from money or whatever it is, but that there's a sense of, I deserve this for whatever reason that happens. I think that sometimes those people just do not have the capacity to understand what somebody who's not in their same circumstance is going through, or mm -hmm, right. they can't be bothered. Let's put it that way. They, they can't, can't be bothered. bothered. I think that that's what it boils down to. Don't, They're too yeah, comfortable. They want to deal They're with comfortable it. where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about personal success as a woman, because this is something I've been reading a lot about lately too and about how there are segments of women who really struggle with being successful, with they manifest something that they've really wanted in their life. And then it's sometimes there's self-sabotage. Sometimes there are issues with feeling like they belong, like Jenna, like you said, you know, how do I, I, I feel insecure. I'm just mm -hmm. a yoga instructor, right? Yeah. And there are more women out there that are creating companies, creating mm -hmm. jobs, doing things that are non-traditional and being successful at doing those things and then still having difficulty admitting their success or feeling comfortable with going on or not feeling that they are somehow not as good or not taking ser taken seriously or whatever it is. So how do you feel about your personal success? I mean, I know Jenna that you have transitioned from working more in an office type situation to now working more in the your your passion of yoga. Mm -hmm. And how I mean, I know that you love what you do, but how do you feel about the success and how how do you feel when you tell someone I'm a yoga instructor. I feel you're catching me at a weird time with it because it's I've been like really in my head about it in the last couple of weeks. I'm feeling really insecure about um, about my success as a yoga teacher. Actually, I had a I was having dinner with I don't think that no Bentley wasn't there. I was having dinner <laughs> with some girlfriends last week, and I have a girlfriend who wants to go through teacher training, and so she asked, "Hey, can I ask you like how much you make?" I said, well, it depends on like, it depends yeah. on the studio you're at. It depends how many privates you're doing. It depends if you're leading, which she's like, there's a way to make a lot of money doing it. She goes, no, I know, but you, she goes, I know how hard you work. I know how often you're, how much you're traveling to and from studio. She goes, I know, like, I see your grind. She goes, how much money do you make as a yoga teacher? And I told her, and like, I could just see her face. And I think that my face kind of mirrored hers as well. Cause I've never <laughs> really done them. I've never done the math really. I'm like, I don't know. I get this paycheck here. I get this, this paycheck there. And, right, right. and then it's all there, right? It's not how I make my living, right? I don't survive off of being a yoga teacher. Thankfully right. I've got my husband and, and the business. At the same time that I'm telling her this, I'm like, holy shit, that's it. That's all I make. Like I could never do this on my own. Like, I could never sustain my life being just doing exactly what I do right now. So then I got to thinking about that, getting really insecure about that. Like, what more can I do? How much more 
time and energy can I put into this without seeing that return of investment of my energy? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Well then, so I'm going to stop you right here for just yeah. a sec. You, this doesn't have to be something that completely supports you. Right? right. And so you are in a place in your life right now where you've made this transition. You know, on a deeper level that you don't have to support yourself doing this. So it gives you the space to be able to follow your passion and do this. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe you feel a little apologetic about that, that yeah. you, right. So I would say to you, you don't have to apologize for that, Jenna. This is a, you've worked to this point in your life where you've created the situation to be able to allow you to follow your passion. Yeah. No, I appreciate And, and, and you, you can make as much or as little as you choose to do, but we all know as yoga instructors, mm -hmm. there's only so many hours in a day that you can teach and be mm -hmm. effective as a teacher. Mm -hmm. There's only so many down dogs you can do in a freaking day before you go, I can't do one more fucking down dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do one more fucking down dog. So True. there, you know, the reality is, and, and you look at, at, I mean, I just did an interview with my friend Sadie Nardini, who is the OG traveling yoga instructor. She, I mean, I met her in 2008. She was traveling. She was teaching in a studio. She was filming her own and making her own DVDs and selling them to people, as well as recording a lot of content for YouTube. And that was before yeah. all the rest of social media was really a big deal. And at one point in time, I mean, she literally was gone more than she was home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I watched her just how hard it was for her to, to maintain that. It's the same thing that Catherine Budig said when I talked with her was, mm -hmm. you know, she said, you, you can travel all over the place, but you get to a point where that's all you do. And it's really hard to keep perspective and it's really hard to stay motivated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's not something that you can do long-term and I don't know of, I take that back. Well, no, cause Sadie's even written a couple of books. There's a lot of yoga instructors that make a decent living doing this, but I don't know any of them that that's all that they do right? Mm -hmm. to, to actually support themselves all the time. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. it's, it's difficult to do that, which mm. is unfortunate. Yeah. I would love to see insurance cover yoga. I would love that would allow for more people to be able to do private yoga sessions because there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that really need that really. sort of attention. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not necessarily always affordable. And I, I just had a conversation with one of the teachers where I teach and she was going to do a private session and the amount that she quoted me, she was going to charge. And I said, you're way underselling yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, I need you to think about how many hours you've put into learning to be a yoga instructor, mm -hmm. how much time you spend putting together a class or working with somebody on an individual basis requires a whole different set of skills and, mm -hmm. and ways to, to teach somebody. So you need, you need to pay yourself what you're worth. And it's right. so hard. I think women have a harder time and I, it doesn't matter whether you're a yoga instructor or anything. If you're doing something where you're setting your own rate of pay, we mm -hmm. have a harder time asking for what we deserve mm -hmm. than, than men do. I had yeah. this conversation with 
my girlfriend because she is a fitness instructor. That's her that's her job. And she just went through um, and she has been for a long time. And now that she's on her own, she's got to make her own money. You know, this has become her lifestyle. This is her income. This is her living. And that's why she went through her Pilates teacher training, because you can only be a fitness instructor for so long physically because you're teaching. 20, 30 classes, you know, however many classes a week or train, personal training sessions she's doing, your body's not going to last forever. No. So that's that was a big shift for her was um, was doing Pilates for that reason because she can do that pretty much for the rest of her life. I mean, she loves it, but you're not taking such a physical hit. Um, and when I found out what she was charging per hour for personal training sessions, I almost smacked her because I was like, are, so are you kidding? You this. Does she, <laughs> so does she work independently wherever she does personal training? Yeah. So she does in-home personal training and okay. she also teaches for a health club, like regular um, hit classes, yoga, group fitness, ex- group group fitness. fitness classes. Exactly. Okay. And now she's doing Pilates. So she's basically doing those three. Now is, um, she, working, is she working out of a Pilates studio? Both. She's doing at a Pilates studio and at the health club. She's doing Pilates okay. as well. So she's okay. everywhere. But it's it's the dynamic in her life completely shifted. And I kind of want to touch on, you know, Jenna's point about like guilt or insecurity or whatever it is when it comes to teaching. Like most yoga teachers don't start their career as a yoga teacher. Most of them yeah. go through 10 years in a corporate life. Right. They build up their lifestyle or their their money or their security or whatever it is. And then they say, I hate my job. I hate working in corporate America. I've wanted to be a yoga teacher for five years now. And then they go do it. Now, if that's in their position, that's great. If not, then they also, you know, whether it's a good or a bad thing, have financial support somewhere else that's mm-hmm. given them the opportunity. Now, in my story, I was married. And at the time, my husband was about to graduate from law school. He was about to get a job. And I'm like, great, I can quit my job that I despise and go be a yoga teacher, which is what I wanted to do. Then I got divorced a year later. So that kind of blew up in my face a little bit. But circling back to to her story, she never had to push for a higher rate. Sure. She just she had a, a husband who made great money and she got to do what she loved, which is beautiful, but she never had to worry about living off of it. So it's mm-hmm. as like going back to what you're saying, Sherry, especially women have a harder time saying Asking this is what I'm worth. This is what I'm worth. Yeah. Now she didn't have to do it before because it wasn't relevant. That's not what she was living off of. But now that she is, I went, you need to take a serious look at this because not only were you worth it before, but you weren't asking. There you go. Now you know what you're worth and you have to ask for it. So switch your game well, because. And, and my thing is, is that I don't want it to have to be a situation where yes. you have to ask for it. It should be a situation of. This is I what know- I'm worth. Regardless, I know the Pilates training isn't cheap because we just had three three instructors at the club where I work go Mm -hmm. through and they are now master Pilates instructors. And And I mean, it's pricey. It's pricey and it's it's your time as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our personal trainers are actually, the club pays a certain rate and they're all at kind of different levels depending on what kind of training they have. And Mm -hmm. we have a little bit different setup for that. And, uh, you know, our top trainers make damn good money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, uh, there's uh, one, two, three, four of them that are 50 plus years old and still doing personal training. Mm-hmm. 
and some of them still teaching group classes. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. a part of, of who they are, yeah. but they, they can, they can set their own schedule Correct. and they figured out how to be able to live a life. But for the most of them are all in relationships with someone. So mm-hmm. they're not necessarily just supporting themselves doing this. Right. So, yeah. and I looked at Such this a double-edged sword. It is, it is. And I looked at all of this back in 2008 when the crash happened and I lost my full-time job and I was unemployed mm-hmm. for two years. And the only thing that I had going on besides my unemployment and sending out 8 million resumes every single mm-hmm. week was my yoga. And I started teaching a whole lot more yoga than ever before. Sure. And that was, I got, I, it, it went from a place of doing it from joy and being something extra I did because I love doing it to a source of part of my income that supported me. And there were times when I would get stressed out over that. Mm-hmm. Of, I'm tired. I really don't want to teach five yoga classes today but I got rent coming up. Yeah, and I got, you have to. You know, I got this and I got that. And so it's an interesting experience to go through that and where, you know, working in a health club now and teaching yoga and doing all of these things, it, it's sort of the best blend that I could come up with in terms of still being able to have the space to follow my passion with yoga and be able to have healthcare and mm-hmm. a livable wage. So I, I look at things like that and I think about how do we, when we get to the point that we feel successful, how do we then sort of undercut ourselves from, from, from behind, right? We, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't take what we do as serious or we feel insecure about what we do or so that's kind of what I'm after here is like, how do you feel about your personal success at this particular point in time? Are you still feeling inspired by what you're doing, Jenna? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's there, you know, there are more days than I would ever like to admit where I just don't want to show up. You know, I don't want to do one more fucking downward facing dog. (laughs) One more chaturanga. I don't want to put together one more playlist, but at the end of the day, you know, it's still a responsibility. And I have had people tell me over and over again, well, can't you just call in? Can't you just not show up? I'm like, no, like it doesn't work at all in this industry. Right. But every single time I show up and I teach, I feel better every single time. Time. Um, And beyond the success of myself as a yoga teacher, I am extremely proud of the success that I've made in who I am as a woman. Like I'm very happy with who I am, with the decisions I've made that have led me to where I am today, with the choices that I make from the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment that I go to bed at night, most of the time, you know, it's about furthering my own happiness and living a life that I feel fulfilled in where I'm not going to sit back on my deathbed and be like, man, I really wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. Like taking the steps to get me to the point where I'm not going to be regretting it. I love that. And for me, like that's success in and of itself. No matter how much money I bring in, no matter how many students show up to my classes, I don't care because I feel like I'm doing the right thing. There you go. Well, and I know Bentley that you are still in a space of, of, you know, working on your education and- And, but you have really created a good sort of multiple stream of income of things that interest you mm-hmm. that are still kind of all conducive to each other, tied together a little yeah. bit, right? And that, you know, I could have easily 
you know, with everything that I went through said, you know what, to hell with all of this, I have to go back, get my nine to five, get my, you know, get my insurance. I mean, I have insurance, but like insurance built in through your job, um, job security, you know, that's, that's the lifestyle we're raised to have, you know, it's grow up, go to college, get a job, get married, have a kids, white picket fence, la-di-da. Now, while that my parents wanted me to grow up and, you know, be successful, however I get there is how I choose to get there, which is great. But it's sort of this like double-edged sword, like, oh, go and live your passion, find what motivates you, but um, don't take but too many risks. This parameter, this parameter, exactly. Right? Like you have, like, they're encouraging you to live this life where, you know, break free of the mold and, and, you know, find your financial success, but not too, yeah, but don't go too far. (laughs) So it's like, how do you, how do you create that life? So I was very torn. I'm like, really at at that point in my life, maybe I had it, I wouldn't have quit my full-time job with benefits and insurance and all this to become a yoga teacher. If I wasn't at that point in my marriage, you know what I mean? I, if, or if I knew I was getting if I knew I was going to get divorced, I probably would have kept my job because I needed money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as much as we don't, I don't want money to dictate my life. It does. You can't live a life without money right. unless you're going to go live in a cave somewhere. And even then they'll probably still find a way to tax you. For me at this point, I'm like Jenna saying, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm staying committed to what fuels me and what gives me passion. And I am creating this life that I want to lead. And I, and I want to say, uh, you know, I'm going to make money doing what I love and that's my goal. And I know that I'm going to get there and I'm not there yet. Still really scary, but between yoga, te- you know, teaching yoga, being a full-time grad student, um, I'm doing social media work, which is amazing. And I love that. I'm now really excited. I haven't even set, brought this out yet because it just started, but I am now working for doTERRA with essential oils, which I'm super excited to start because that just fits into my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it's something I already use and I'm very excited, but you know, it's just adding to my multiple streams of income. You know, it's helping to build my platform of who I want to be. And it's like, you, you hope that as you continue down that road, the money will, the money will follow. And that's a scary venture to take. But I, at this point, I would not change it for the world. And, and so this is, you did a great job of, of talking about, you know, the whole thing is like what society or parental parental thoughts want, are yeah. is that, mm-hmm. you know, your life looks like this, right? Yeah. You, and you, and you talked about all that. And then I am a firm believer, especially after losing my job in the crash the last time of multiple streams of income that you, mm-hmm. there's, there are no guarantees in life. Yeah. I mean, I, I lost everything, all of my savings, all of my retirement, I mean, everything at 48 years old Mm -hmm. and went, well, now what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. So I come at it from a much different perspective, but I also have people in my life who don't believe that I'm successful at what I do. And so there are times when I go, because I don't fit the mold of married, Mm -hmm. having a house, having a traditional job, all of those things, then I am less than. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's 
sort of what I was after is like these, all of us as women who are crafting and doing these things that are outside of that little, mm-hmm. you know, post World War II sort of idea about what success should be that kind of carried through is that we're way outside of that mold and society doesn't really know what to do with us. And sometimes that can be detrimental to the path that we're on for whatever reason. Yeah. I, so, um, I I read something recently that I I want to share because it fits seamlessly with what we're talking about. A girl that I follow screenshotted this on her stories and it literally, I'll I'll skim it real quick, but it says the fancy, the big fancy adults preach the opposite. They say, quote, fall in line. And then in the same breath, quote, think different, take risks. We're told follow your passion and stay hungry at every commencement and graduation speech. This mixture of school and risk is the holy cocktail of American ideals. And for those rare beacons of exceptional success, it turns their life stories into fables. And then it goes down. It goes, I took this double speak to heart like any good kid born in the 80s. Yeah. 80s 80s kids. Do what you love and follow your passion became foundational virtues, but it's slippery. Do what you love, but stay on the assembly line. There's no time to find what you love. You should be building your credit score. Take risks, but don't be foolish. Believe in yourself, but only if you've proven that you should. And then it, it just There's goes on. a but. Yeah. Don't waste time at a job you hate, but magically manifest money to leave that job and chase a dream. So it's right. like, like, fuck, you can't win. Right. You can't win. And I just like loved it. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that's crazy. sort of a perfect metaphor for all yeah. of that. It's like, we support you doing this. But, but man, I mean, be careful, but don't take too many risks. Don't leave your don't secure job, many, you know, or, yeah. you know, and I'll never forget because I was trying to put my jewelry that I was making into production to start selling when I lost my job. And my mother's comment was, well, there's a lot of starving artists out there. And I just went, I just, I just fell into myself at that point yeah. in time. It was like, you know, I, I can't win for losing at this mm-hmm. particular point in time. I'd I, I can't get anybody to call fail. me back or give me an interview for a job. And the one idea I come up with somebody just completely, somebody mm-hmm. who I love dearly has completely pulled the rug out from underneath me. So I look at stuff like that and it's the same thing. It's like, oh, we want you to, to you know, follow your passion, but not too far. Yeah, don't, don't go too don't, far. Don't go out of the yellow lines. You got to stay in the lines. Don't and scare I mean, anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most importantly, don't scare us because you're going to come to us for money, right? right. Yeah, right. And, don't screw and, up. You know, and 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 I did that often enough already anyway. But it was just like I just it's it that happens more often, and I think that there that leads to people feeling like they're they're not legitimate in what they're doing, and mm-hmm. they may be incredibly successful but they don't stop to realize that's what it is. Okay. So we're, yeah. we're going a little long, but I got one more question. Okay. I want to ask. What's the strangest question that anyone has ever asked you? How serious do you want me to take this? <laughs> I, I want you to, to tell me, and it doesn't have mm. to be on social media. I mean, it can be anywhere in your life. What's the strangest question that anyone has ever asked you? Oh, God. Can I send you money for foot pics? I knew you were going to say that. I was going to say that too. Damn it. Social media life. Hey, I got, how much did you get offered? Let's see. Let's see who got offered more money. Okay, Bentley. Your teeth are better than mine. That, that is a strange question. All right, Bentley, what do you got? I don't know. I don't like this question. 
I like this question. Sherry, you answer, because I don't have one yet. <laughs> Jenna took mine, and now I'm pissed. What's the strangest <laughs> question that anyone has ever asked me? Mm-hmm. Boy, this is, all right, I'm going to say you got to have your own questions answered if you're going to ask it. <laughs> have you ever had sex during Down Dog? That, uh, somebody asked you that? Yes. Wow. Someone you knew? How did this come up? Set, yeah, I need some context. Someone that I knew who that the conversation came around to naked yoga and then was, has anyone ever asked you to have sex in down dog? And I was like, what? I have so <laughs> many follow-up questions. <laughs> and I'm still not even thinking about mine. This is not good. <laughs> You have follow-up questions? Like what? That's just bizarre. No, I'm just kidding. Don't yeah, right. <laughs> how do you, how does that actually, never mind. That's you can ask. I, I not necessarily know an answer? answer, but you no, can that's ask. Funny. You I'm still trying to think of a weird question that somebody's asked me and I don't really okay. I don't know. I don't you know. haven't had any strange questions since you started dating a woman. I mean, well, no I mean, Okay, I had one. This is so gross. I can't believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> I can't. I take it back. I, right. I retract it. Okay. I'm out. I'm waving the white flag. Because oh now God. I'm like dying. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I maybe I took all the wind out of your sails with the having sex and down dog. Yeah, now you, you killed me with that. <laughs> and then, then the response was, I guess it would have to be with someone tall, wouldn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was literally like. I wish you could see my face right now. (laughs) I wish you could see my face. I was speechless and that doesn't happen very often that I was speechless because I was just like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation and I'm done. And that's that's too far. I guess we're going to end it on that note. Yeah, let's (laughs) leave it there. That's a great place. Oh my gosh. I'm all right, I'm doing it. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin! You're okay. welcome. Thank you again for showing up with all of your honesty <laughs> and, and willingness to share your truth with all yeah. of these weird questions that I come up with. <laughs> we we'll love it. Back, we'll be back next month for another episode of Topic Talk. Go out and listen to all of the rest of the Topic Talks. And just so you guys all know, Bentley's solo interview is up on on Friday the 15th. So you can go back and listen to it because this will be coming out after that. But go back and make sure you listen to that before you listen to this. All right. (laughs) We'll be in your ears next month.